Well, it was a big passage, wasn't it? And we're going to work our way through that. How about I pray for us as we start? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so clear to us. And as we walk away from tonight, Lord, help us to be reminded of who you are and how great you are and the great things that you have done for us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Look, um, my wife, uh, grandparents live in America and my granddad said to me, uh, when we were in Denver, we should go up and take a look at Mount Rushmore. Now, does everyone know what Mount Rushmore is? For you guys that may not, some of the younger guys, it's a, it's a cliff with uh, four of the president's heads in uh, that have been carved into the rock. This is what it looks like. Oh, actually, this is Michelle and I when we arrived. That's the, the flags. This is me going on a tour, uh, spruiking about something. But it's in the middle of nowhere. They built it because they wanted tourism. And when we were there, there were no other people from the other world. It was like a pilgrimage that Americans do to this rock. And so that's the, val the flags of each state. This is what it looks like close up. It's amazing. It's massive. It took 14 years to build flat out. But while we were there, we heard about, and it's big, okay, it's big, let's not kid ourselves. But while we were there, we heard that there was another uh, rock being carved, and just steady up, uh, and it's called Crazy Horse. Now, Crazy Horse is an Indian, and this is the, the smaller model of what they're actually doing. Okay, and um, we, we got told you should go and have a look. And when we arrived, uh, when we saw it, next slide, that is it up there. In fact, next slide, it is the whole mountain they are doing. It is massive. They've been working on that thing for 70 years. It is big. Thanks, guys. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because as we head into this passage, I want us to be aware there's some, there is something far greater that we're just about to find out about. Uh, we, uh, at the start of the, the passage that was read, there were a couple of stories there that seemed that great things were happening. Peter wasn't holding back anymore. He was getting on and telling people about Jesus. Uh, he was healing people. He was seeing with his very own eyes Christ's power being used to change people's lives, not just that they were healed, but that they repented. In fact, if we were to step away and actually take Peter out of the story, we could actually place Jesus in there because, did you hear, like, paralysed man? That could be the paralysed man getting... Jesus healed that got let down through the roof. Get up your mat, take up your mat and walk. Or uh, raising someone from the dead, Tabitha, in, in uh, Peter's case. Well, there's a couple of things, but I'm thinking of Lazarus there. Lazarus comes out alive. There are amazing things, big things going on here. And I don't want to diminish what those things are. Sorry. I don't want to diminish what those things are here, there's big things happening. The lame being healed, walking again, the lady who's died and in the name of Jesus being raised up. These things are amazing, but it's not the biggest thing that is happening. Uh, a few years ago, Roland Lowther was a, he was a minister, he used to be my minister in Dolby, he was a minister down at Helen's Vale. He's telling me a story that he went on an SU camp. And on this SU camp, one of the, it was upper primary, and one of these kids fell over and actually hurt his ankle terribly. And he was super upset. He wasn't a Christian kid, super upset that he wasn't going to get to do everything. And there was another little kid there who was, who was a Christian, and he says to his friend, would you like me to pray that Jesus might heal your ankle? 
Now, Roland, being a Presbyterian minister, would be very sceptical on this, and so would I. Um, and so this kid gets down on his knees, puts his hand... His mate goes, yeah, why not? Have a crack. And uh, gets down, puts his hands on his, uh, on his ankle and says, Dear Lord, if it's your will, please, in the name of Jesus, heal my friend's la- uh, ankle. Now, blowing Roland completely away, this kid was fine. Ran around the rest of the day, never had a problem. Amazing. The next, did all the things the next day, this same kid fell over, hurt his leg, and he went to his mate and said, can you do it again? See, it is amazing that people get healed, isn't it? But that paralytic man isn't walking around still, is he? He died. And Tabitha's not alive right now, is she? She died. See, it doesn't work like that. You see, the thing that really is amazing when we hear the stories is those healings are pointing to someone greater, a greater healing, the healing of our sins. And the forgiveness of sins is actually your eternity getting sorted out, not just your present circumstances. And so as we head into the the big part of the story here, what comes next, it completely shakes Peter's world. He knows that to be true that the eternal thing is more important than the healing. The thing I love about this part of the Bible is that often you hear that God isn't very clear. But when it comes to the black and white things in the Bible, God is very clear. In fact, as we look at this here, uh, we might be surprised to recognise that those two First little stories are only a couple of paragraphs. The next part of this story takes up nearly a chapter and a half, two chapters. God wants to be clear here. And God knows that uh, Peter will struggle to hear what's being said here. And he also knows that we struggle to be hearing what we need to hear. And God's okay to tell us over and over and over again. So... Peter's getting on with it. He's getting on with the Great Commission. And in fact, if you had a checklist from the start of Acts, uh, what he was told to do in the start of Acts, which is uh, Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy... This is Jesus talking. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Peter can go check. In all of Judea. Peter can go, yep, done that. And Samaria. Check, yep, definitely doing that and the ends of the earth. What about the ends of the earth, Peter? Now, I'm going to keep saying this. This is a big deal for Peter. His whole life, he has been brought up as a Jew. He has been brought up to think that he is set apart, not to be influenced by people or other places. The way he thinks, the way he acts, the very core of who he is, is going to be shaken to the core here to make him to think in a completely different way, to take what he believes and have it completely torn apart and rebuilt again, that in the way that he thinks and the way that he acts will completely change forever. So let's not miss it. Even, as I said, Luke takes two chapters to make sure that people who read it get it right. Okay. 
Let's, it's almost like um, God's here saying, Peter, okay, we're going to do the ends of the earth now, and I want to make it easy for you. Let's start with an Italian centurion who actually is really liked by Jewish people and fears God. Let's start with him. If you've got your Bibles, follow along with me because I'm going to work my way through this little passage. Hear what's going on here. Uh, so, verse 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and, and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of the Lord who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel of the Lord, uh, sorry, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with a Simon the tenor, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so we've got that. He's, this guy's a good guy. He's fearing God. God says, you need to get this guy. Come here and talk to you. Pick it up for Peter now. Swoop, next scene. Verse uh, 9. Am I right here? Sorry. Yeah, verse 9. About noon the following day, uh, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. Remember, he's at the tennis place. Uh, he became, became angry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners, containing all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. For Peter, this is like an episode of uh, celebrity, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You know that one where they eat the bugs or the worms, and you're sitting there going, that is disgusting. I would never do that. That's what it's like for Peter. He sees this coming down and goes, that is disgusting. I would never touch that. His stomach would have been churning. How could God be asking me to do this? But just know how clear God wants to be on this one. Not once, not twice, but three times. He reminds him each time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And just to make sure that it doesn't go away, you know how you have a bad dream or you do something bad and if you forget about it, it sort of dulls out after a while? God doesn't want that to happen because uh, as soon as he's finished the dream and there's no time to forget about it, look at verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, you ready? The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go down. 
Why have you come? Yeah. I've got the glasses on, so I'm half blind. Sorry about that. Um, the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask for you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. God does not give Simon any time to say no to this. He's just finished the vision, and then God tells, these, uh, uh, God tells him, these guys are here coming, don't hesitate. And we need to understand that if Peter had time to actually think this through, he probably would have said, I'm not going near them, they're Gentiles. Which is kind of hilarious, because the guys he's staying with is a tenor, and that would have been unclean to the Pharisees. But the, those Gentiles, they're disgustingly unclean, I would never go. But here is Peter, he invites them in as guests. One thing I want us to notice here, did you see why, when Peter asked them why they had come, what he said, what they said to him? End of verse 22, a holy angel told him, uh, told him to ask to come to the, sorry, ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, what do you think Peter's going to have to say? Jeez, I've been doing a lot of healings lately. I even rose someone from the dead the other day. It's the gospel, isn't it? Look what happens. The next day, Peter gets up, starts out with them, and some of the believers of Joppa went along. The following day, they arrive at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and look what he's done. He has called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter enters the house, Cornelius, remember he's a centurion soldier of the Roman Empire, for... Uh, fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Remember, these are Gentiles. And he says to them, you ready? You are well aware that it is against our law for, for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, I, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any question. May I ask why you sent for me? What the heck? Do you see the scene here? It's almost like, okay, I'm here. I don't think I should be here. I don't even like you people really, but God's told me I've got to be here. And why the heck did you get me here? Remember the Great Commission? Is anybody remembering that? I don't know about you, but I'm going, wake up, Peter. Wake up. What? So Cornelius graciously answers him. Remember, he's not, he's not the Jewish dude. Cornelius answers in verse 30. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at that hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. That's you, mate. Uh, he, he is a guest at the home of Simon the Tenor. He lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. 
now that we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything, you ready? As the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Oh my, did you hear that at the end? What the Lord's commanded, and, and Peter's still, okay. I feel like shouting at Peter at this point. Grabbing, wake up. Wake up. Are you stupid or something? But as I wrote this talk, and I actually stepped back from it, and I thought about me, I thought about how many times God gave me opportunities to tell somebody the gospel, which I have been called to do, and I didn't do it. I wonder if you're in that boat too. Now, he finally gets it, doesn't he? He finally gets it. In verse 34, Peter speaks, begins to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazarene with the Holy Spirit in power. And how he went through, around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people but by witnesses who God had, had already chosen, by us whom we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one whom God appointed judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter shares the great news, the gospel. You see, Peter might have been hesitating there because he might have thought, these guys are beneath the gospel. They surely can't get it. But God wants to make it very clear they are not beneath the gospel. Because look at what happens next. It could be a replay of Pentecost. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on those who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit as we have. And so he ordered them to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Look, let's not get sidetracked here. We often arrive, oh, well, I didn't have the Holy Spirit to descend on me. But let's just put into perspective here, I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. Just as you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Just like we saw up there. Why do you think that this is happening? Because God wants to make sure that the Jewish people understand that the gospel is like for people like us, Gentiles. 
It's not just for them, it's for everybody. He wants to make that crystal clear. Now, when Peter arrives back, they're not exactly happy about it, are they? And I'm not going to go all the way through it, but you see at the first start of chapter 11, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard about the Gentiles and also that they'd received God's word. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went into a house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them? They're not happy. But starting at the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but it was a bit repetitious, wasn't it? We read it again. Now, why do you think we're reading it again? Because people at that time would not have agreed with this at all. And it needed to be told again and again. The gospel is for everybody. And once Peter had told the story to everyone, verse uh, 18, they heard this and they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is big. To the ends of the earth. That is why we sit in this church. So what do we take away from this? Look, if you're not a Christian here tonight, the gospel is the biggest thing you will ever hear. You'll hear other big things. You'll make other big decisions. But the gospel is the biggest thing. It is the thing that will sort out your eternity, understanding that Jesus died on that cross so that you can have your sins forgiven, that you can come back into relationship with God and you can have, be a part of God's family. You can call God Father. And your eternity is sorted out. And even better than that, you have meaning and purpose and understanding of who you are. If you're not a Christian, listen to the good news about Jesus. If you're a Christian here, I've got three things to say to you to finish up. One, the gospel is the biggest thing you could ever share with anybody. Christians often get distracted with miracles or um, healings or, or you'll sit there and go, if only I could heal that person, then maybe they believe in God. The gospel is the biggest thing. Or if I could give them some money and look after them, you can give them all the money in the world, but if you don't share the gospel, they're going to hell. You can give them all the food in the world and if you don't share the gospel, they're still going to hell. You can love them and care for them, give them hugs and kisses, but if you don't share the gospel, they're going to hell. The gospel is the biggest story, the best story that you could ever share with anybody. Two, God wants you to share it. I don't know whether you had thought about this as we went down. Why did God get Peter to go down there? He already had an angel there. The angel could have said, hey dudes, Jesus came, you need to sort yourself out. Holy Spirit, boom, done why does he involve us? Weak vessels. God uses weak vessels like us. And there might be a whole bunch of reasons. But one of them is that he allows us to be a part of the reconciliation with others. That is, God reconciles himself with those Gentiles there. That they see, have freedom from sin. Peter is a part of being reconciled to the Gentiles as well as that's happening. And if you've ever been a part of seeing someone become a Christian, leading someone to Christ, 
uh, Christianity. You know immediately there's a special bond with that person because they are your brother or sister in Christ. God allows us to be a part of it. He doesn't need us, but he lets us be a part of it as his family. And three, we need to stop judging who we should share the gospel to and who we shouldn't. Now, for some of us here, that will mean that dirty, grotty guy that smells, I couldn't share the gospel with him, or the drug addict, or that person who's deep in sin, who's sleeping around and doing stupid things and wearing awful clothes, I can't share the gospel with them. That's just wrong. For others of us, sorry, what we actually need to recognise for all of those people is that we are dirty, rotten sinners, and God's forgiven us, and they are in that pool, ends of the earth. But for many of us, it will also be that friend that we've got, we go, oh, they've got it all together. They don't need Jesus. They seem to be happy enough with where they're at. Or that person in the shop who seems to, uh, you know, why would they want to know it? Or the person who's giving you a hard time about, you know, why would you go to church? They they obviously don't want to know about it. Can you understand that for, for many of us, it could be either one of those things going on? So we need to be careful that we don't judge who should be told the gospel and who shouldn't. The answer to that question is everybody. Any opportunity we've got, we should share the gospel. And so as I finish here, I want us to remind us ourselves how big the gospel is. In this room here, I know that there's many of us who are Christians and our eternities are sorted out because of what Jesus did for us. We are saved because of the good news, the power of the gospel. And that power of that gospel needs to be shared with those who don't know it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel, the the good news that we can be free from sin, that we can be a part of your family, that we can be saved, that we can call you dad that we have brothers and sisters here, that our eternities are sorted out all because what you have done for us, nothing we've done for you. And yet, Lord, you still let us to be a part of that. Help us, Lord, to respond to that in a way that we want to share this. And I pray this week that you would give us opportunities to share this good news in a way that might cut to the core of those people that are around us. That we might love people enough to share this. And I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you, that you would be working in them through your spirit, just like you had been with Cornelius. That as we speak to them, that uh, you, you might open their eyes and see the truth. And for those here that don't know you, Lord, be gracious to them. Open their eyes. Show them mercy, Lord, that they might truly understand how big this is. For Jesus' sake, amen.